Section 43 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katerina. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 11, Part 1. The Austrian reverses increase. Sketches from the seat of war, showing its realities as viewed by a soldier who abhors war. Death of poor Paxel. My husband avows his determination never to serve in another campaign. Never was such a thing heard of. Defeat after defeat. First the village of Podol, barricaded by clam gallows, carried by storm, taken in the night by moonlight, and by the light of the conflagration. Then Gitchen conquered. The needle-gun, the cursed needle-gun, mows our troops down by whole ranks at a time. The two great army corps of the enemy, that commanded by the crown prince and that under Prince Furkal, have joined and are pressing forward against Münchengratz. Thus sounded the terrible news, and my father communicated it with as great a degree of lamentation as he had shown joy in telling us the victorious news from Kostotza. But his confidence was not yet shaken. Let them come, all of them, into our Bohemia and be annihilated there, to the last man. There is no escape there, no retreat for them. We hem them in, we encircle them, and the enraged country folks themselves will give them the finishing stroke. It is not altogether so advantageous as you might suppose to operate in an enemy's country, for in that case you have not only the army, but the whole population against you. The people poured boiling water and oil on the Prussians from the windows of the houses at... I uttered a low sound of disgust. What would you have, said my father, shrugging his shoulders. It is horrible, I grant, but it is war. Then at least never assert that war ennobles men. Confess that it unmans them, makes them tigers, devils. Boiling oil, ugh! Self-defense, which is enjoined on us, and righteous retribution, my dear Martha. Do you think that our people like the bullets of their needle-guns? Our brave fellows have to be exposed, like defenseless cattle in a slaughterhouse, to this murderous weapon. But we are too numerous, too disciplined, too warlike, not to conquer these tailors for all that. At the beginning, one or two failures have taken place. That I admit. Benedek ought to have crossed the Prussian frontier at once. I have my doubts whether this choice of a general was quite a happy one. If it had been determined to send Archduke Albert there and give Benedek the army of the south, but I will not despond too soon. Up to the present, there have really been only some preliminary engagements which have been magnified by the Prussians into great victories. The decisive battles are still to come. We are now concentrating on Königgrätz. There we shall await the enemy, a hundred thousand strong. There our northern Kostotza will be fought. Frederick was to fight there too. His last letter, arrived that morning, brought the news. We are bound for Königgrätz. Up to this time I had had tidings regularly, though in his first letter he had prepared me for his being able only to write little, yet Frederick had made use of every opportunity to send me a word or two. In pencil, on horseback, in his tent, in a hasty scrawl, only legible by me, he would write on pages torn out of his notebook letters destined for me. Some he found opportunities for sending, and some did not come into my hands until the campaign was over. 
I have kept these memorials up to the present hour. They are not careful polished descriptions of the war, such as the war correspondents of the papers offer in their dispatches, or the historians of the war in their publications. No sketches of battles worked up with all the technicalities of strategical details, no battle pictures heightened with rhetorical flights, in which the narrator is always occupied in letting his own imperturbability, heroism, and patriotic enthusiasm shine out. Frederick's sketches are nothing of this sort, I know, but what they are I need not decide. Here are some of them. In Bivouac. Outside the tent it is indeed a mild, splendid summer night, the heavens so great and so indifferent, full of shining stars. The men are lying on the earth, exhausted by their long, fatiguing marches. Only for us, staff officers, have one or two tents been pitched. In mine there are three field beds. My two comrades are asleep. I am sitting at the table on which are the empty grog glasses and a lighted candle. It is by the feeble flickering light of this, a draft of wind comes in through the open flap, that I am writing to you, my beloved wife. I have left my bed to Puxel. He was so tired, the poor fellow. I am almost sorry I brought him with me. He too is, as our men say the Prussian landwehr are, not used to the hardships and privations of a campaign. Now he is snoring sweetly and happily, is dreaming, I fancy, very likely of his friend and patron, Rudolf, Count Dotsky. And I am dreaming of you, Martha. I am silly, I know, but I see your dear form as like you as the image of a dream sitting in yonder corner of the tent on a camp-stool. What longing seizes me to go thither and lay my head on your bosom? But I do not do so, because I know that then the image would disappear. I have just been out for an instant. The stars are shining as indifferently as ever. On the ground a few shadows are gliding, those of stragglers. Many, many men are left behind on the road. These have now slipped in here, drawn on by the light of our watch-fires. But not all. Some are still lying in some far-off ditch or cornfield. What a heat it was during this forced march! The sun flamed, as if it would boil your brains, add to that the heavy knapsack and the heavy musket on their galled shoulders, and yet no one murmured. But a few fell out and could not get up again. Two or three succumbed to sunstroke and fell dead at once. Their bodies were put on an ambulance wagon. This June night, however illuminated by moon and stars, and however warm it may be, is still disenchanted. There are no nightingales or chirping crickets to be heard, no scents of rose and jasmine to be breathed. All the sweet sounds are drowned by the noise of snorting or neighing horses, by the men's voices and the tramp of the sentry's tread, all sweet scents overpowered by the smell of the harness and other barrack odors. Still all that is nothing, for now that you do not hear the ravens croaking over their feast, you do not smell gunpowder, blood and corruption. All that is coming. Ad majorum patriae gloriam. It is worth noting how blind men are. In looking at the funeral piles which have been lighted for the greater glory of God in old times, they break out into curses over such blind, cruel, senseless fanaticism, but are full of admiration for the corpse-strewn battlefields of the present day. The torture chambers of the dark Middle Ages excite their horror, but they feel pride over their own arsenals. The light is burning down. The form in that corner has disappeared. I will also lie down to rest, beside our good Puxel. End of section 43